1: All right, I want you to um, to focus with me here for just a moment. Today I'm going to finish up the series of messages titled The Pathway to Victory. Now, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek title, if you will. There's really a two-fold reference to this title. First of all is that, guys, you realize that God wants us to live a victorious Christian life. I mean, he doesn't want us to live defeated as a child of God. He wants us to live in victory. And in order to do that, there's some things that we must do in our own life after we've accepted Christ as our Savior to grow in our faith to be able to to live this life of of victory. But also here at Victory Church, we have a a pathway if you will or we have steps that we try to lead everybody in our congregation down and we title it the pathway to victory and we started what six or seven weeks ago I guess with the very first one if you look on the far back side of the wall there here are the banners and here are these seven steps that we are strategically doing ministry in we have leaders for each one of these areas we we have, a, we have some strategy in each one of these areas uh, to help us grow but it starts in the very back with honor. When we come in, and and one of the first things that I want to take place when when we gather together on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday night for our worship and then our Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7, I want us to engage in worship. I mean, there's something about corporate worship. There's something about when God's people come together with one heart, one mind, and a spirit of unity. Focusing on God and worshiping together. So whenever we come in here and sing these songs, we're not just taking up time. I promise you, I can preach for an hour and a half, right? I mean, we're just not looking for, for a time slot to fill and something to take up time. We're trying to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to get engaged with God uh, and, and to connect with Him in a spirit of worship. So that's the first one, and you can go back and hear that whole message I preached on worship. The next one is is to connect with each other, to have that fellowship. Obviously we want you to connect with God first And that's through salvation Being born again Accepting Christ as your personal savior Realizing that the gospel of Jesus Christ Is all you really need to be born again And that just simply realizes That we're all sinners That Jesus is sinless Hello And that he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the beginning. That's the connection that we make with God. But then we want to connect one with another and have that true koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship in Scripture, is that koinonia. We're really sharing life together. It's the ebb and flows of life. It's the the burdens that you may be carrying. We are to come alongside you and fulfill, and Jesus said, fulfill the law of Christ when we help carry your burden and when we we laugh when you are laughing we rejoice when you are rejoicing we weep when you are weeping and of course realize we can't do that at a church this size with everybody all together but we can certainly do that in small groups and so we want to encourage you to get connected in our small groups and thus connecting one with another that's the second step the third step is to grow get into the word of God and we really start to grow in our spiritual life and that's probably one of my favorite messages that I've preached in this entire series because God's going to take us three places to grow us. Right? Do you remember that message? He's going to take us where? He's going to take us to the garden, right? Then He's going to lead us out into the desert, and then He's going to take us to the cross. And there's lessons that He's teaching all of us while we're in the garden, when we're in the desert, and while we're at the cross. There's different lessons that He's teaching us to grow us spiritually. I've always said this, and I believe it. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Hello? Uh, He wants to conform you into the image of His Son and that's the whole process of sanctification that takes a lifetime, ultimately, to be completely sanctified when we're in the Lord's presence. That's grow. Then we have serve, where we all need to find our, our niche, find our shape, find our place of ministry, where God has gifted us, what, he, what, he, what talents we have, and where we're to use those within the local church. And we talked about, about ministry and serving. And then we went back and we talked about evangelism. That's to reach. And uh, we had class 401 this past week. And appreciate all those that came to Class 401 and had a, had a good turnout there and, and great lesson. And, and I've tried to edit that thing down. And I think John said it was still like two and a half hours, but, but he said it was really good stuff that they were in. And uh, so anyhow, I want to encourage us all to reach our circles of influence, and we teach you how to do that. And, and that's the next step on evangelism, how we're to reach those that, that don't know Christ, and we're to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And then last week we spoke on, or actually I had Paul speak, I was gone spoke on stewardship, and stewardship really is just managing all everything. We realize at Victory Church, and this is something I have preached for the past 14 years or so since I've been here, that that really stewardship can be summed up in four words. What are those four words? Do you remember? God? Yeah, that's it. God, Man, I'm so glad you guys remember that. It kind of makes me feel good when I know, man, I've studied, I've preached, I drill, I drill, I drill, and and you get it. That's good stuff. You encourage me this morning. But God owns it all, right? I mean, it's all his. I'm just a manager of what he's placed in my possession and how we need to be good stewards of our money, of our time, of our talents, everything. And by the way, uh, we don't have to apologize to preach on tithing. Uh, I believe it's, it's a command of God, just like not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is. I don't have any problem telling you need to be in church on Sunday. The Bible says that. I also don't have any problem telling you need to tithe. What is a tithe? 10%. It's, it's God's command, right? And we need to be tithing and really where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will be your heart also. So really the money area of our life is a pretty good indication of where we are spiritually in our life. Go back and you go back and look. Look at your check register. Look at your checkbook. Pull out your online account, which is what I do. I haven't written a check in years and I don't even balance in a checkbook. I just go online and there it all is and I kind of work it right there. And, and you can go through and you can pull out the line items, and you can see what you are investing in, and the things that you are investing in the most, you know what that tells me about you, you know what that will tell you about yourself, that's what you're passionate about, say amen or on me, but stay with me here, right, I mean, where your money goes, there's where your heart is, right, a good illustration of that is I don't know how many does the stock market, and, and um, man, what a, what a risky business to, to be involved in today, but, uh, but I promise you this, if you have zero stock in General Motors, I doubt that you're going to pull out the newspaper or get on the internet and find out what the stock is in General Motors tomorrow morning. You probably have no interest in that whatsoever because you have no money vested there, right? But you take $100 your heart on money and you buy $100 worth of General Motors stock, I guarantee what you're going to be doing tomorrow, sometime either tomorrow or next week, you're going to be looking there to see what that stock is, right? right? Why? Because you gave to that. And God knew that. He knew that where we place our money is where our heart is going to follow. And so I want to encourage you. And, man, I want to, I want to challenge you, Tithe. I've, I've heard preachers say this. Well, just start somewhere. Uh, some folks have come and say, well, I don't know that I can give 10%. And I've heard preachers say, well, just, just start somewhere. Give a 1%, give 2 work your way up to 3 I say that's hogwash. Hello? God's word doesn't tell me to start somewhere. Are you all with me today? Come on now. I just want to be true to God's word. God's word says it's a tithe which is 10%. It's the first fruits of what God blesses us with. That belongs to him. And if we're not giving it, we are stealing from God. Look at me and smile real big. And I want you to know that's what the Bible says, okay? I didn't write the book. The good Lord wrote the book. He called me to teach and preach what's in the book. So if we're not tithing, we are stealing from God. And I promise you, honey, you will not prosper if you've got your hand in God's honey basket and you're stealing from him. He will slap it pretty hard for you. You may get by for a while, but payday is coming. Hello? Everybody smile. We shouldn't, have to, we shouldn't have to fret over that. I trust God. I'm going to give him my tithe. And I really try, try to give more. You know, I try to look and give beyond. If I, man, if I, I want to give a little more to God's word because he has blessed me so much. That's stewardship. The last one I want to get to today is leadership. And I got to hurry, I spent way too much time on my introduction here. Uh, I want to get to leadership. This is the seventh step in the pathway to victory. Now when you walk in the doors of Victory Church and you're just getting connected with the Victory Church family, here's the, here's the process that I think you need to be walking down according to God's word and we pull all of this out of scripture come in and worship together connect with each other, get involved in small groups and share. start sharing life together, bearing each other's burdens growing in the word of God and growing in your faith, being conformed to the image of God's son. Now because I realize he loves me so much and I'm growing to be like him, I want to serve and I find me ministry and man, I'm getting in there and I'm serving in that ministry and then my my, my, my awareness is heightened to those around me and I'm concerned about their spiritual uh, condition and so I'm going to get involved in evangelism and help share my, my faith with them and then I realize that everything I have belongs to God I just want to be a good steward of it all. Ultimately, we want you to grow to the area of being a leader, being someone that God can count on to lead In the church, to lead in ministry, to lead in your home, to lead on the job, to lead in the community, to be a spiritual leader wherever God places you, in Victory Church, at home, on the job, in the community, wherever, we need to rise up and be men and women of God that are being influential for the the cause of Jesus Christ, right? You know, I, I think the church has laid dormant way too long. I mean, we were talking coming down the road this morning. On our way into church, Debbie and I were talking and Tyler and and Jessica, we were talking about how the world today doesn't even know what right and wrong is. we spent the last 25 years trying not to hurt anybody's feelings and tell them what right and wrong is. That They don't even know what it is any longer. And the reason it is because I think the church has been way too quiet. And we need men and women of God to rise up and be influential leaders for the cause of Christ on our job, in our community, in our home, and especially in our church. So I want to talk to you a little bit about leadership today and, and that being step number seven. Now, there's many different ways we could go in the area of leadership, and I'm going to be sharing another lesson on leadership this Thursday evening with everyone. And I hope you'll come back for that, all of our leaders and, and everyone involved in ministry and serving in a particular ministry. I want you to be here for that. I'm going to be talking more about leadership there, but today I just want to glean a little bit and and really, there's seven areas where I want to look, so I, I've got to go quickly. I don't have time to park in these seven, or we'll miss the Daytona 500, right? No, 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 no. just kidding. I, I don't have time to park in all seven of these areas. I would be here for hours if I did. But I want you to look with me in the Old Testament, and we're going to glean a little bit from the life of Joshua. Okay, we're going to look at the life of Joshua and we're going to see some of his life lessons and and we're just going to take a journey with Joshua and see how God moved in his life. We all know that Joshua became a great leader, right? Right? I mean, he, he led the children of Israel where? Across the Jordan into the land of Canaan to conquer the land that God had, had promised Abraham and all the descendants that he's going to give them. And there was the great battle of Jericho and, and, and the, and the defeated AI and, and all these other places where Joshua was leading that military troop, that army, those people into possess the land. So we're going to glean a little bit from the life of, of Joshua and look at some of these unique experiences that he had in his life. Okay, so let me just, I'm going to fast forward through the rest of my introduction here and get to step number one. Here, here's what I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is I call these uh, disciplines, if you will, of leadership. I believe we need to have them in our life as well. Number one is prayer. I want you to see how if we're going to be leaders that God has called us to be, we must be men and women of prayer. Now turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17 and we're going to look at verses 8 down through verse number 15. Now the great thing about this passage of scripture, you remember I share with you a lot and in, in, as we talk about hermeneutics and the study of God's word and, and, and on Wednesday nights we're, we're teaching verse by verse of the book of Jude and I want to encourage you to come back on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock as we're doing that study together. But, but oftentimes as we're studying God's word we'll, we'll run across the law of first mention. Well, right here is the very first time that we're introduced to Joshua. This is the first time that his name is mentioned in Scripture in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 down through verse number 15. But I want you to see this watershed moment, if you will, that took place in Joshua's life. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 15, the Bible says that Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, now here's Joshua, first time he's mentioned, okay? Moses is God's man. Moses is the leader. He's leading them out of Egypt towards the promised land, okay? They're not in the promised land yet. He's leading them out of Egypt towards the promised land. And he says to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. You got to understand how, how the, how the how, and I don't have time to really park here too much, but, but how the journey went, how they traveled when they, were, when they were en route from Egypt to the promised land. All, the, all those that were slow and those that were wounded and those that were weak and, and those that were sick and, and those that were really struggling, they were all at the rear of the camp, Okay. Now, as they're traveling and journeying through, Moses realized that the Amalekites now are attacking the rear of the camp. I'm talking about millions of people walking now, okay, on this journey from Egypt towards the Promised Land. And Moses is aware now that he's being attacked from the rear, which was a very wimpy way to attack Israel, right? I mean, in the rear of the camp were the, the women, the children, those that were sick, those that were wounded, those that were crippled and handicapped, and those that really could not defend themselves. And Back at the rear of the camp is where they were being attacked by the Amalekites. So Moses is aware of that. He sends Joshua back to fight the battle, and that's where we pick up in verse number 10. And Joshua did as Moses had told him, and he fought against Amalek. While Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. Get this now in verse 11. And let this image burn in your mind, if you will. While Moses, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat on it. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down and Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. Don't you find that interesting? God told Moses, write this down, recite it to Joshua, okay? Okay. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and he named it, The Lord is My Banner. And he said, Indeed, My hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, once again, this is the first mention of Joshua in Scripture. But here I want you to see what it was and how God was preparing Joshua to be this great leader. Now, right now, Joshua is just a soldier. Okay? He's not the leader. But I want you to see that while he was doing. Being a soldier, doing the best he could do at his job, God was preparing him for a far greater calling in his life. Guys, listen, don't ever minimize where you are in ministry right now, where you are in your life stage right now. God is working on you even now regardless of where you are in your career, regardless of where you are in ministry, regardless of where you are in your spiritual life. God is working on you just as he was working on Joshua even here. Now think about the image that Joshua saw he's down there he's fighting the battle he looks up and he sees his hero he sees Moses the leader of God's people and he's got his hands lifted up let me let me just share with you this is a type of intercessory prayer Moses was interceding on the on the behalf of Joshua and those that were fighting in the battle and while his hands were up Joshua would prevail But when his hands began to wane and the strength began to leave him and he got very tired and he brought his hands down, the tide in the battlefield turned and Joshua started being overtaken by the Amalekites. And then Moses would realize that again. With all the strength he had, he would put his hands back up. And when his hands were up, Joshua would prevail. Now Joshua no doubt saw what was taking place. Thank God for Aaron and her. Hello? Had it not been for two godly men that realized that Moses was their spiritual leader, but Moses could not do it alone, Moses needed help. I've got a message that I preach how we need men like her. Not H-E-R, H-U-R. Man, we need some men like her. We need, we need some men that have come along like, like, like Aaron and her and stand alongside their leader so that his hands could prevail and Joshua could win the battle. Hello? Joshua knew that in order to win the victory, he had to be a man of prayer. This was a lesson that was clearly manifested in the situation and in the life Of Joshua. He learned that real power was not in his sword, but real power was when he fell on his face before a holy God and he interceded on behalf of others in prayer. And guys, if we're going to be, and ladies, if we're going to be the leader that God has called us to be, we must be a people of prayer. I want you to look at this next statement I wrote in my notes. I put it on the slide for you. No one, I want you to get this. No one attains true spiritual leadership who thinks his power is his own or his past victories are due to his genius, of him just being a brilliant person, of me having a strength of my own to do this. No true spiritual leader will ever sink that low and think that the reason I'm having some victories is because of how good I am. No, 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 no true spiritual leadership is realizing that I am nothing. Hello? That I can do nothing unless my hands are lifted towards heaven. I'm totally submitted to God and I am praying and asking for God's strength. Back here behind the stage this morning, the prayer team or the praise team and band all get together over here and they have a time of prayer and then the band comes out and then I like to come over here and I grab Tyler and and the rest of the team and I had prayer with them over here and I said, and I reminded them, I reminded myself, God, we can't do this by ourselves. We need you working in and through us if we're going to glorify you. And guys, we've got to be a people of prayer. I like what E.M. Bounds said about those who are effective in spiritual leadership he said they are not leaders because of brilliancy but because by the power of prayer they could command the power of God ladies and gentlemen we must be men and women of prayer we must realize we can't do anything in and of our own strength we need God and his strength the second discipline if you will of leadership is vision. And we're going to see this once again in the life of Joshua. Not only did he see that he's got to be a man of prayer and it was illustrated very vividly for him when Moses and Aaron and Hur were on the mountain and he's fighting the battle. But secondly, the next mention of Joshua is found in Exodus chapter number 24. I want you to look in Exodus 24 in verse 13 and following. The Bible says, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God And he told the elders, he said, wait here for us. Who is the us? The us is Moses and Joshua. He's taking Joshua with him. They're going up into the mountain of God where Moses is going to receive what we know as the Ten Commandments of the Lord. And Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God. He told the elders in verse 14, wait here for us until we, once again, we me and Joshua, return to you. And Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute should go to them. And when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And the Lord, or the cloud, covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. And the appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. Can you imagine, if you will, this vision that Joshua got of God and what God was doing in the life of Moses? Moses tells Joshua, you're going with me. The rest of the elders, stay here. We're going up on the mountain. They're going up on the mountain for six days. They're up there waiting on God. All of a sudden, the cloud comes. God manifests himself. Moses goes on a little further. Joshua's sitting there watching all of this and seeing and hearing, if you will, what was taking place with Moses. What great vision. That Sinai experience never left Joshua. Okay. I want you to look at some images and some experiences, some life lessons that God is burning in this future leader. And he's letting him see you must be a man of prayer. But secondly, you must have vision. God branded on the heart of Joshua a deep sense of God's glory, a deep sense of God's holiness, a deep sense of God's power. And Joshua was privileged to see that and witness this firsthand. He got a vision of the omnipotence of a holy God meeting with Moses there on the mountain. The Christian leader's vision of God makes all the difference in his life. I love what... And by the way, in Joshua chapter 5, and I don't have time to turn there, but in Joshua chapter 5, right on the eve of the battle of Jericho, Joshua, if you will, met the commander and host saw God himself there in Joshua chapter 5 and had this image of, of God, this vision, if you will. I love what Old Testament scholar Robert Dick Wilson wrote. And he said that when he served at Princeton Cemetery, upon hearing that some of the alumni were returning to preach, he would slip in the back row at Miller Chapel and he would listen to these preacher boys that have gone out into ministry and now returning back to the seminary to preach. And he said this, He said, when my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders, and then I'll know what their ministry will be. You see, your vision of who God is is really going to determine how far you go in the area of leadership. You believe he's a big God that's able to handle all your problems, that you can step out on faith and trust God because he's a big God? It's going to be a pretty good indicator of how far you go in ministry. Or do you think God is a little God? I'm just not sure. I just don't have a good vision of him. I'm kind of skeptical. I'm a little bit scared. I'm a little bit afraid. I'm not sure. Better not commit wholeheartedly. Better not go into this thing, hold gun, stock, and barrel. Better, better hold a little reserve back. I'm just not sure your vision of God will determine really what type of spiritual leader you're going to become. I want to encourage you to, to be a big godder. <laughs> you realize that the creator of this universe... The God of heaven and earth created everything. He's the same God that lives in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's a big God. He's able to meet any need in your life. Well, how do we enlarge our vision of God? Well, jot down three things real quick. I'm gonna go hit them and go. And they're not even on the screen. Three things I want you to do to enlarge your vision of God. Number one, we must read the great passages of Scripture in the Word of God. Get in God's Word and see where God manifested Himself to His people and see how powerful He was and see how great He is and see what He did in the life of His people Israel. Get into the Word of God and read these great passages of the great works of our our Almighty God. That will help enlarge your vision of who God is. The second thing I want you to do is a little more practical. I want you to look up tonight and look at the stars. Last weekend, my wife and I went on a little retreat. We went down to a place that's extremely populated called Dora, Missouri. I'm sure you've been there. There's about 85 people that live there. Completely secluded area. No cell phone coverage. No data. No no, nothing. No text messaging. No cell phone service. No internet. No Facebook. No nothing. Completely disconnected from everybody and everything. And there we were. No streetlights. Nothing. We didn't get into town till about ten thirty that night, on Friday evening, Friday night. And the last ten miles of the journey is down a dirt road. And if you know me and my, how I like to keep my vehicles clean, that was laborious for me. <laughs> Knowing that I was hearing gravel and I could envision dust just barreling behind me. And so I went as slow as I could, but about 10 miles down this dirt road. We took a wrong turn and went about a mile down this road and went straight down and it crossed a creek. Now when I say it crossed a creek, I'm not talking about a bridge. I'm not talking about a, a culvert. You just kind of run. I'm talking about literally a creek running through the road. And we just and climbed straight up the other side. And I mean, holy smoke, it's pitch black. We stopped and looked and got outside the car just so we could kind of get a vision of where we were. One time we stopped at an intersection. I turned the lights off of the car. I said, let's just see how dark it is out here. Man, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. It was so dark dark but we looked up I said Debbie look how huge those stars are now the stars are didn't grow any they're the same size as what we see around here right the difference is it was just so black dark out there and they were so bright it made me think man what a big God we have so to enlarge our vision, I go further with that, i got to stop, I, I can't pack, unpack that. To, to enlarge our vision, read the Word of God, see what God is doing. Secondly, Paul, stop. Get outside tonight and just look at the universe, look at the galaxy, look at the stars, look at the moon, get up in the morning, look at the sunrise, pay attention when it goes down in the evening, watch the sunset. Let's, God, is, God is, is exhibiting and showing his beauty all around us every day, but unfortunately, we're so consumed with ourselves that we don't even take time to look at it. Well, if you just look at it, it'll help grow your vision of who God is. And the third thing, just pray. Just pray that God will increase his vision of who he is to you so that you have this, this vision of this vast greatness of a holy God that's able to do anything and everything in your life? Oh, we got to be people of vision. That's point number two. I got seven of these. Man, I can almost turn this into a sermon series. We got to be people of prayer. We got to be people of vision. Thirdly, and I'm going to hit these other ones a little quicker. Thirdly, we got to be people of devotion. Devotion. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 11, Exodus 33 and verse 11, the Bible says the Lord spoke with Moses face to face just as man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. (laughs) Get this, if you will. God had manifested himself in the tabernacle to Moses. Right? Joshua is his right-hand man. He's there with him. Moses is just finished meeting with God. And Moses is now returning back to his camp. But the Bible says in verse 11 that his assistant, the young man Joshua... Son of Nun would not leave the inside of the tent. Joshua was amazed and wowed by the presence of God that when his leader had left the tent to go back to his camp, Joshua said, I'm just going to stay here. Let me ask you, and there's a whole lot more I can say about that. But when's the last time? that you just got still just you and God and you just was there basking in his love for you his provision for you just loving on him and letting him love on you and basking in his presence Joshua was so devoted and I believe here he was more devoted to God than he was to Moses hello? Guys, don't don't you elevate? Listen, don't elevate me. I'm just a man that God's called to proclaim His gospel. Don't elevate me. Don't elevate any other preacher. Don't elevate any other ministry leader. They're just people. Hello, right? If you want to know what type of person I am, go read Romans chapter three. It 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 really describes me down to the letter of the crossing of the T and the dotting of the I. That's exactly who I am. I am a sinner. Right? Joshua knew that. Here Moses leaves and no doubt Moses said, let's go Joshua. And Joshua, Mm-mm. <laughs> you go ahead. I'm going to stay here. He was devoted to God. He had this spirit of worship. And, and I just want to say this, that true spiritual leadership, it is born for devotion and demands to be close to God. Worship must be our top Priority. if we're going to be a leader. There is no spiritual leadership apart from passionate devotion and worship, okay? You must build that into your daily life. You must find time in your schedule to get along with God. If you're gonna be the leader that God's calling you to be, you must be a man of prayer, hello? You must have a great vision of who God is and you must spend some time, just you and God alone, vasting in his greatness, Hello? And we see that Joshua certainly did that. Number four, jot this one down. And this one's big, maybe a little more practical, and I think you can see it here, but it's the word magnanimity. Uh, Magnanimity. What does magnanimity mean? It simply means that we must be generous in forgiving insults and injuries and complaints against us. Okay? Let me say this. If you're going to step out into the role of leadership... You're going to have people that will complain about you, that will attack you, that will insult you, that will throw darts at you. Hello? When you are a leader, are you with me? When you're a leader, there's going to be those that attack you. And so to be an effective leader, you must be a leader that has this attitude or this spirit of, Magnanimity, magnimius, ninius. In other words, this this forgiving spirit. We find that with Joshua. I, I find this interesting. Look, if you will, in in in, um, in Numbers chapter eleven. In Numbers chapter eleven, verses one and three. Now, here are complaints that are being thrown towards Moses, thrown towards the leaders about their hardship. And then there's complaints in verse four and six about the food that they're eating. I mean, here's people that are murmuring, they're complaining, they're attacking. And then if you read that chapter a little bit further, you'll see where, where God placed His spirit upon 70 different individuals to help proclaim the gospel, and, and then he, he withdrew it and told them to stop it. But then there's two more that continued. Now, Joshua saw this as a threat. Okay, Joshua saw this as a threat to Moses' leadership. He saw it as a threat to himself. He he heard the insults, the complaining, the murmuring, and now there are two that are thinking they can do it better, and now they're prophesying and they're preaching through the camp, and Joshua said, this is a red flag. So Joshua runs to Moses, and I'm paraphrasing this chapter. Joshua runs to Moses. Moses, we got a problem. We got two people that are just not following your leadership. We got two people that are that they have they've been involved in complaining and murmuring and gromping and carrying on. And now they're out preaching. Moses, turn me loose. And I'll, I'll just go kill them. I'll, I'll stop them. I'll do whatever. But we can't have this. I want you to look what Moses said. If you will, let's look down in verse number 28 of Numbers 11. Joshua, son of Nun, assistant to Moses, since his youth responded, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Verse 29. But Moses asked him, get this. Are you jealous on my account? Moses now is putting his finger on a flaw in Joshua's life. Are you jealous on my account? If only all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on them. And then Moses returned to the camp along with the elders of Israel. Once again, I believe this was another watershed experience in the life of Joshua. You see, because I believe Moses was teaching him that he had to get to the place where he realized that, number one, he had to have a spirit of forgiveness towards those that were insulting and complaining. He had to have this this spirit of of bigness that, you know what, it's it's not about me. It's about God and what he is doing. But Joshua got hung up into this thing, it's about me and Moses, right? Let let me just say that that is so small as a leader when when we get hung up into that and and we think it's it's all about me and it's it's about what I'm doing and, and and Moses brought Joshua back around he said he said I wish they all would preach and I wish they all would proclaim and I wish they all had the spirit of God on them I read a article in the 1979 Yale lectures on preaching by John Claypool that while in seminary he was talking about how he experienced this jealous jockeying for position and, of course, you see that in the church today, this jealous jockeying for position. You know, I can't get there. I won't there. I won't there. Knock them down. And, you know, we're complaining about everybody else and so we can elevate ourselves. And you see that in church work today. You see that everywhere in, in the culture today, right? It's nothing new. It was there in Moses' day when he was there with Joshua. John Claypool continues to write. He says that his, tra- his tragic comments in writing was that when he would attend the national conventions... Of church leaders. He said most of the conversations in the hotel rooms were either full of en- envy for a leader who was doing well or scarcely concealed delight over the failure of another. There was this jockeying of position that was taking place. And I believe here, to be a great leader, we got to realize it's not about me. It's about God, and we need to, listen, we need to help elevate our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to grow them into areas of leadership and positions of, of authority in the church. It's not just me. I, even in my ministry, let me say this, and I want everyone to hear this plainly. If you are leading a ministry, oh, I, want, I just wanna hit the desk right here, but I'm afraid I'll break it. If you are leading a ministry It does not mean you do the work, all the work. It means you look around, you find people and you elevate them into the realm of being leaders in that. The best thing you can do as a leader is work your way out of a job. Do I need to say that again? The best thing you can do as a leader is work your way out of a job. Find your Timothy as Paul did. Grow them in your area of ministry to where they can take it over. Don't be threatened when people rise in the spiritual realm and, the, and their own spiritual lives and in positions of leadership in the church and we feel threatened. That is so small. Joshua felt threatened by these others. And he ran to Moses. Moses, let's stop them. Moses said, I would be to God that everybody was preaching. That everybody was doing the work. Wow. I believe that spoke to Joshua. Number five, jot this one down. I got to hit these last ones. I'm just going to mention them. We got to be people of faith. Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 14. Joshua, you remember about Joshua and Caleb? They were two of the 12 spies that went out to spy out the the promised land. They both brought back a positive report and the 10 brought back a negative report and they were very pessimistic. I don't think we can go, there's giants over there. Listen, there's going to be giants in your life. But Joshua was a man of faith. He said, oh yeah, there's giants, but we can conquer them. You see, and listen, let me let me give you this visual, if you will, the difference between the two and the 10. You see, the 10 that came back with a pessimistic report, they saw the obstacles, they saw the giants, and then they saw God. And they came back and they said, oh, don't think we can do that. You see, they didn't have a clear view of God because they were looking at the problem. But Joshua and Caleb came back and said, oh yeah, our God's bigger than that because they saw God and then they saw the giants. And clearly when they looked at the problem with that perspective, God's a lot bigger than any giant in your life. So we must increase in our faith. The second thing I wanna say, and I guess there's a life lesson there that the majority is not always right. You see, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in leading by consent, Consensus. I don't believe in polling the people and asking them what they would like to have. I believe in getting on our face before God, asking God what he wants and carrying the orders out. I believe that's what we see in Scripture. As well as your pastor, I'll never poll you and ask what you would like to have. Now, if we're going to have a barbecue, I'll ask you, do you want chicken? Do you want whatever? Well, that's okay. But as far as the direction, the spiritual direction, no, no, no. Right? Because one of the reasons is the majority is not always right. I mean, here were, they were certainly outnumbered. Ten said no, two said yes. And obviously, you know the rest of the story, they all died out there, but Joshua and Caleb, and then they finally got to go on. But our day is a day when truth is determined by consensus. Our day is a day when everybody's doing it, makes it right. I promise you, that is not living a life based on the authority of God's word. Truth is not determined by consensus. Consensus truth is determined by what God says hello and we must be people of faith number six we must be people of filled with the spirit in numbers chapter 26 65 and 27 18 through 19 here you see you can see where God's spirit was placed upon Joshua we must be people that are filled with the holy spirit of God I love what Oswald Chambers says about this he says spiritual leadership is not a matter of superior spiritual power And it can never be self-generated. There is no such thing as a self-made spiritual leader. we got to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit of God? I believe it really comes down to one word, and it's submission. Are we willing to live a life of submission, completely submitted in every single area of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? When we are submitted to the lordship of christ i believe then we have the filling of the holy spirit that takes place in our life and by the way this discussion came up the other day in our small group the moment you got saved the moment you accepted christ as your personal savior you got all of the holy spirit you're ever going to get so don't sit around praying for more of the holy spirit you got him the question is does he have all of you hello you've got all the holy spirit you're going to have So, don't pray for more of the Holy Spirit. You've got Him. The moment you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence. We are now the tabernacle of God. He lives within our spirit. We've got Him. The question is does He have us? Have we submitted to the Lordship of Christ? We've got to be filled with the Spirit. Number seven, get this one. Another life lesson. Last one. (laughs) We've got to realize that we are all expendable. The expendability, we're all expendable. You realize, guys, God doesn't need you and God doesn't need me. We are privileged to be able to be involved in the ministry of God here at Victory Church. And I realize every single day that there's another pastor come in here and do a far better job than what I can do. I know that. God doesn't need me for Victory Church to be successful. hello, we are all expendable. I want you to realize that. Sometimes we think, and I've even heard people say, well, that church just couldn't make it without me. Are you kidding me? Right? Are you kidding me? Well, that church would go under if I didn't put my tithe in there. Are you kidding me? Do you, are, do, are, are, is your ego really that big? Say, come on, guys. Are you kidding me? This is God's work. This is God's church. Every single one of us are expendable. Well, does that mean we all quit today? Well, if you want to be disobedient to God, just quit today. But I'm just saying we've got to serve and work realizing that, hey, I can be replaced. God really doesn't need me. It's a privilege to be able to do what I'm doing for him. Hello? Moses, if you read this passage of scripture, Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 and 12, it's the entire chapter. You see where God led Moses up and let him view the promised land. Moses, come here, I want to show you something, son. This is where I was going to let you lead our people, but because you were disobedient to me, you don't get to go. Is the land of Canaan, the promised land, a type of heaven? No. Trick question. It's a type of victorious Christian living. Moses did not get to go to the land of. Canaan he didn't get to go to the promised land he got to see it from afar and God even pointed out if you read Deuteronomy chapter 34 you'll see where God even pointed out the boundary lines he said, look, look over here Moses see all that I'm, g- I'm going to give him all of that and, and then I'm going to give don't you know can you imagine being in Moses' shoes at this point I mean here's a man the, I believe the greatest leader and by the way it even says that in Deuteronomy 34 the latter part greatest leader in all of scripture was, was Moses you see how God led him and he led all these people up to this point and now he's standing there and because of his disobedience which by the way you're free to make any choice you want to make but you're not free to choose your consequences they will come as a direct result of the choices that you make in life understand that and here Moses is now the promised land, that's it and God is pointing it out to him, all the boundaries look over here, look over there Look, look way back in that back right corner over there. I'm going to give him all of that. And he's, lying, he's laying all this out for him in Deuteronomy 34. And then Moses dies. And then God buries him in a place where we don't even know where he's buried. Do we, do we know he's with God today? We, we go to Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. There we can see we know he's with God because he came back. On the Mount of Transfiguration Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah was there. So so we know that Moses is with the Lord, but he did not get to go into the land of Canaan because of disobedience. And he was expendable. Would do you really think? God, are you really? This is your leader. God, you've poured so much into Moses. And he's followed you all the way up to this point, And you're not going to let him take your people across the Jordan into the land of Canaan? God, mm-mm. What a lesson Joshua learned. If Moses was expendable, Joshua lived the rest of his day knowing that God could do ministry without him. And guys, we need to know that. We're all expendable. Now listen, we've got to serve with that mindset. But it takes all of us serving and working together. But we got to serve knowing that, you know what? This this thing isn't about me. You know what? I've thrown my hands up and I've surrendered to this thing. I don't know how many times. That, God, this is your church. You're do what you will. Lead us in the direction you want. It's, it's not me. God, it's you. And we got to realize that every single one of us are expendable. So here's some things about leadership. As the band comes and I'm done, let me, let me throw this out there to you. Leadership is needed in the church today. And I believe this is the seventh step in the pathway to victory that we must learn to implement in our life. Let me review them with you real quickly. We must have a commitment to and a practice of intercessory prayer. We must be committed to the pursuit of of a great and a growing vision of God. We must have a growing worship of and devotion to God. We must have a big-hearted magnanimity that thrills at the elevation of others, even those that may insult us and complain about us. We must have a faith that transcends the doubts of others. We must have a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. We must have a liberating understanding and embracing of one's expendability. I am so privileged to be the pastor of this church. And I am so privileged to be involved in what God is doing through the ministry of Victory Church. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man of vision. I want to be a man that's devoted to God. I want to be a man of magnanimity that has this spirit of forgiveness, knowing that people are going to slander your name. People are going to start rumors and lies about you. People are going to criticize you. And honey, I've lived through all of that. But I'm praying every day, God, I don't want to be a bitter person. I don't want to live the latter years of my life is a bitter angry person God I forgive them I forgive them because I got to be at peace with myself and God I can't carry that we got to be people that are willing to forgive and I pray God help me to be that person I want to be a man of faith I want to be a man that says God I believe with you all things are possible God me and you make a majority in anything we can do this and I promise you, buying this 21 acres of land and building this building, it, it, it tried my faith at times. But I just believe there's a big God in heaven that has led us to this point. And He's going to continue to lead us here at Victory Church. Hello? we got to be a people of faith. And I want to be a man of faith. I also want to be an individual filled with the Spirit of God. I want God's presence and power and spirit to rest on me. Now, I'm not a perfect man. And if you watch my life under a microscope, you're going to find my flaws. And I'll tell you, they're there. But I want to be a man that knows that I can't do anything without him. and I want him to fill me with his presence. And I want to be in total submission to everything that that he has in my life. I want to live under the lordship of Jesus. And I want to fly his banner. And it's about him, it's not about me the last thing I serve every day realizing that this church will continue tomorrow if I'm pulled off the scene today because God doesn't need me to lead Victory Church this is His church I am expendable and I know that I think when we apply these seven things to our life I think it helps us to rise to be that spiritual leader that God wants us to be. Those are some life lessons that Joshua learned. I hope you were able to jot down some of these references that you'll spend some time studying that yourself. Some great life lessons. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I just want you to know that's where it all begins. And just right there where you're sitting, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to come shake a hand or just right there where you're sitting let's do business with god right now just realize that you're a sinner realize that christ is sinless realize he died on the cross for your sins he was buried and he rose again and just believe that and then ask god to forgive you pray something like this i gonna help you pray pray something like this just say dear god i realize that that i'm a sinner in need of a savior And I pray, God, you forgive me of my sins and you come into my life and you be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross and the sins of the entire world were placed upon you there and I believe you were buried. I believe you victoriously came out of the tomb the third day. And right now I want to receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. I give you my life. I give you my heart right now. Also, as heads are still bowed, eyes are closed, if you're here today and... You've already accepted Christ as your Savior. But maybe God has struck a chord in your life. As we've talked about these seven areas of leadership, life lessons in the life of Joshua. Maybe God wants to teach you something. Maybe God has put his finger in an area of your life of something you need to do. Right now, let's just submit to that. I want you right now just to keep your heads bowed, but just lift your hands up to heaven. This is a sign of surrender just lift your hands up to God right now and just say God we surrender to you right now Father we submit our lives to you we want to live under the lordship of your son Jesus Christ we want the Holy Spirit to have reign in every area of our life and God there may be some areas in my life right now that you have fingered around in and you've convicted me of and right now I just want to submit to that I just want to ask for your forgiveness. I took back control of something in my life I never should have. And right now I give it back to you. Forgive me in Jesus' name.
0: If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.